Do you remember Ouija-ing when you were like in your later teens? No. I Ouija when I'm young. I'm in a competitive Ouija-ing team. <laughs> it's actually. called Wajai. Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez, intuition coach. And I'm Melissa Grushka, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. <laughs> we are continuing our spooky month this Ooh. week. We're talking about rituals. I'm saying that this week we're talking about rituals. Let's do it. warning for our listeners before we get into this week's episode. This episode does mention graphic details of harm and has themes that might be frightening to some of you. So listen with caution. Bean. Hey. Hey, what's shaking? I'm going to try to not smile because it doesn't go with my character. For those who can't see, it's Morticia and I'm very serious. Yes. What's shaking is that we are in week two of spooky season and Bean has shown up in yet another costume. And Bean, other Bean, has shown up (laughs) yet again in not a costume. (laughs) So this is the vibe we're going to go for this this month. It's spooky season, but only for (laughs) half of us. Spooky. You're giving this Morticia look life. I mean, you are really, the long straight hair is really, really doing it for you. I, I think if you could stop staring at yourself. You might be able to focus. Uh, I'm just going to, my scary makeup is just going to lead me right to my cringe moment, if you don't mind. Oh, Because okay. it just happened right before this. This is sudden. Oh, I'm sorry. It's supposed to be spooky. Did it scare you? It did. I went to go get ready and it was as if someone came in. I mean, I went to go get ready with makeup I don't normally use. Truth talk, I wore this last Halloween. My husband was Gomez. I was Morticia. We went to a fabulous party. Um, and I had all, like, I was white, head to toe white red lips, everything. I went to go find the makeup this morning, assuming it would just be like with some of my makeup and none of it was there. It was like somebody robbed me solely to steal my Morticia Adams makeup, right? What? Wait, that's kind of creepy. Right. So my white stuff wasn't there. My red lips weren't there. I had had this like liner that I bought last year, like a junky one that I could use a lot of. None of it was there. I texted my friend. I was like, I don't have anything white. This was like 1115 maybe. I had 45 minutes to go. She was like, I have some pale stuff from when I was Maleficent. My husband ran over and grabbed it, brought it back. So I'm less pale. I kind of like Morticia after a Caribbean vacation right now. (laughs) Right? Like whiter than myself, but a little tanner than Morticia. I'm really loving how the neighbor and your husband rallied to get you into Morticia gear. They did. They're dedicated to this spooky season. Yeah, they value this. I agree. Who isn't? Oh, I know. I know who's not. You. (laughs) I had my husband cutting out work to run and grab me my white makeup that my friend stopped her work to put on her stoop so I could at least appear somewhat pale. And you like hopped on looking fierce to death. Thank you. And let me tell you how dedicated I am. I'll go into my cringy moment. Fine. Do it. I have two cringy moments, actually. Okay. My first cringy moment is I've been watching us on YouTube. (laughs) And I make, (laughs) I've been watching these episodes on YouTube and I make the most ridiculous faces when you're talking. Like I, I make a face like it's a, I'm eating something that's like sour and putrid at the same time. And I'm sorry. I I don't know why I make that face. I think that's inaccurate. I'm sorry. Well, I'll show you. I'll screen grab it. Have you seen my faces? Jaw on the floor. (laughs) No matter who's talking, jaw, mouth open, always. 
But you at least look happy. I look disgusted. No, I look stunned. Maybe you are disgusted. Maybe everything I say is disgusting. But I'm not. That's cringy. But this is the other cringy thing that happened this week that shows my dedication. So this week we're doing rituals. And we decided we were going to pick different rituals. And I chose, because we had to pick a spooky ritual, exorcisms (laughs) like a dummy because I am such a scaredy cat. And I have been attempting to research exorcisms all week because I'm supposed to tell Bean a story of a real life exorcism, quote unquote. Look, my mouth's open. I scared the crap out of myself repeatedly every time I would try to get through it to the point where I told the kids, my husband's in New York. I was like, one of you has to sleep with me tonight. (laughs) Did somebody do it? Did they honor your request? No, I was like, it's okay. You're off the hook. Both of them were like, fine, if you need us to. But like, I seriously couldn't get through it. I hope I can tell you the story because I scared myself like pretty badly. You should have immediately switched with me because mine was very lighthearted and I'm not a scaredy cat like you. You should have just immediately. I was already too far down the rabbit hole of exorcisms. So I think you kind of like it. It's creepy. When's when's your hubs coming back to save you? Tonight. Thank God. I literally woke up this morning. I swear to God, the first thought I had is, oh, I made it. It's good now. He'll be home tonight. <laughs> no demons have been exercised. <laughs> like I survived something so serious. Uh, I'm glad you made it out safely. I'm glad. Thank you. Nobody supported you through this process. I'm sorry you were alone. Thank you. I'm sorry that prior to doing this, you sprayed no joke or a spray around you to protect you from talking about exorcisms. I hope that works in your favor. It is going to. Speaking of, that's a ritual. A ritual is you spraying. You're right. Thank you. So that's perfect because today we're talking about rituals. Dun, da, da, da. So this is now week two of spooky season and we're going to talk about rituals and we thought we'll just do a quick like what the hell are rituals and where did they start? But I'm not going to go. I gave you guys a really deep history dive last week on witches. I like So it. because you survived that, I'm not going to make you go deep into the, what is it? Anals of history. Did I say that right? Uh, I don't know, but I'm <laughs> going to say no. I'm going to say what a hard no. The Wait, anals? I'm going to Google it. Can someone pop the what? in here? What is it? No, no, no. The I'm going to Google it. We don't need anyone. It doesn't matter because I will never say anything else. <laughs> I went too deep into the anals it of is, history. The anal. A-N-N-A-L-S. <laughs> annals of history, which refers to one specific historical record by collection of restorations. <laughs> Read the pronunciation. Oh, okay. Hold on. I'm going to say annals. 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 <laughs> Yeah, now that we cleared that up. What I won't be doing is taking you into the annals of history. Get it together. We're already possessed. Ooh, we should have done that. What do you mean? That's what I did. What do you think exorcisms heal people of? I didn't. I just did like bippity boppity boo. (laughs) That was what mine was like. That's right. Because, wait, because you you picked what? Spells. Okay, so Bean's going to tell you about spells. I'm going to tell you about exorcisms. Before we do that, let's just talk about rituals for five minutes. Is that okay? Yeah. Can I just say something, though, first? You said, what did you pick? I didn't really pick. We came up with the ideas of exorcism and spells, and you immediately chose exorcism. So that is on you, bro. That's on you, my guy. I don't know why. I don't either. Why did I do it? So you could get into the annals of history. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never not say that. 
Oh my god, guys, we promise. We know this is a personal growth podcast. And come November, we promise we're going to bring you that personal growth back. But right now, it is going to be just um, spooky giggles for the rest of this month. Okay, anyway. So rituals. Rituals are the oldest evidence of communities coming together to do things that bring the community together. And the oldest evidence of that is a deliberate burial um, of a loved one that they found in Mount Mount Carmel, Israel, 130,000 years ago. It was a Neanderthal woman. So that is the oldest known ritual that we've seen. Is that what you expected? No, it's not. I didn't even think about that. I didn't think about funerals and burials really as a ritual. Yeah, but it so is. You say burials weird. Burial burials? Yeah, that was weird. We're having we're having linguistic issues. Also, archaeologists, I thought this was really interesting. They say that the use of any kind of coloring agent in prehistoric times, like red, um, right? to paint bodies or cave walls, you know, like five hundred thousand years ago, right? Is also early, early evidence of rituals. What they are believing is that it wasn't just some person sitting there painting a cave wall, but that that had something to do with a ritual. What? The coloring had something to do with the ritual? Yeah, like painting cave walls was a ritual. It wasn't something that was haphazard. It was done with a ritual in mind. Oh, I never assumed it was haphazard. Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't think someone was just coloring? I didn't think somebody was like leisurely doing it. No, like a Neanderthal. Maybe we should define rituals. It's let me. It says here a ritual is a set of prescribed activities that has a religious cultural significance to a culture, group, or subculture. So examples are things like baptisms, weddings, also things like New Year's Day is a ritual. Oh, interesting! All holidays, right? Because it's about yeah coming together. And I want to just talk a minute about why archaeologists and sociologists think that we need rituals before we get into the spooky rituals that we've picked. It basically brings people together to mark important milestones. Like I said, weddings, birthdays. I like it. And they, they're they finding that especially in times of bad luck, so again, thinking about external factors you can't control, um, widespread diseases, things that are happening to the natural planet you're living on that you can't explain. So one example that this archaeologist gave is like, imagine you're living in a tribe 50,000 years ago and wildfires burn down your resources. You start to rely on other villages for resources. So one way to bring two disparate villages together is a wedding or a birthday celebration or something where everyone's invited to come do a communal thing. And then the last reason I thought was interesting is it helps us remember and share a huge amount of information down our ancestral line uh, culturally. So rituals are how we share information with each other about our ancestry, our beliefs, our religions, our culture. I'd say that's the most important factor. I mean, it's basically passing down your culture or your belief system by right. practicing these rituals with those the, with the younger generations. Yeah, totally. That is exactly why I think they've lasted for so long too. I mean, they're ta- we're talking 50, 500,000 years. Um, religious types of rituals, can you name some? What do you Relig- think? How about my, a bas mitzvah? Uh, exactly. I wrote that down. Yeah. Baptism, confirmation, Communion. fasting, Ramadan, yeah. Eucharist. I don't know what that is. What's Eucharist? Eucharist is for Catholics when you are going to, I think, have a wafer and you're sharing in the body of Christ. 
Oh, that's what that's called? Hold on. I'm just going to look up Eucharist now to make sure I didn't offend anyone. The Christian service ceremony or sacrament commemorating the Last Supper in which bread and wine are consecrated and consumed. Like, it's so when they give you and they say... The body of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. The body okay. of Christ. Yeah. Anyway, so that is a brief little jaunt into the history of rituals and why we do them and we still do them. There are rituals I bet you do all day, every day, Bean. Can you think of any rituals that, like, come to mind? Yeah, I'm only thinking my skincare routine. That's about it. Okay, yeah. That's all I right. got so far. Making lunches. I mean, everything in the morning. I feel like yeah. the whole morning is a routine slash ritual and then nighttime getting ready for yeah. bed. It's all ritualistic. I don't know if it would be technically rich a ritual. You tell yeah. me. I love that. That's actually, I'm glad you said that because what I was going to say is rituals are more everyday things than we know. And I think that while I gave you the definition of like it being a set of prescribed activities for religious cultural significance, I actually think that it's advanced to setting aside time to honor something, whatever that thing is. And I think that a lot of our modern day rituals are about honoring self. So when you talk about mm -hmm. skincare, it's yeah. setting aside time to really honor yourself. Um, my ritual that I do is I really try to meditate at least five minutes in the morning just to like get oh. to a place of centeredness before I go into coaching people. I do, you know, crisis management and mediations. And I also have a really hectic life. And what I've been finding is that if I can just take five minutes to center, but I find that if I don't ritualize it, which means do a set of things before I get into the meditation, I don't feel like I'm really connecting. So I always light incense, light a candle. I put my hand on my heart. I just put out there what it is I am looking to receive from the meditation. And I also just create like a moment to have gratitude for whatever I want to have gratitude for. And then I'll sit. I'll play usually meditation music. Sometimes I'll do a guided meditation. Five minutes max because I know I can't really commit to more than that. And then to close it, I'll blow out the candle, you know, put the incense out. And that's really my ritual. I ritualize my meditation. I really love that because in the in the true nature of this podcast, it's all about self-growth and evolving. And if you listened a couple of episodes ago when we had Dr. Jennifer Freed on, we she recommended I do something for 20 minutes every day. We decided on yeah. yoga and no joke, I've been in my head about it. I haven't done it. And now I'm thinking I should add some sort of ritualistic behavior prior to it, but I can't think of what. Like, can I eat a cookie every time before I do it? Oh, you know what? It could be anything you want. But I do like us kind of redefining rituals about just creating totally. space for something to be sacred. And I think self yeah. needs to be sacred so we can take care of other people, especially those of us that are caring for other people constantly. Is creating space to make ourselves sacred, even if it's for five minutes a day, is such a mental health thing especially because a lot of these rituals you were talking about are community-based and coming together, but it is nice right. to be able to have something for you that is yeah, sacred. Yeah, totally. Okay, I found other things off the interwebs that wow. are just examples of, you know, everyday rituals. There is saying grace before a meal, lighting a bonfire on the summer solstice, wearing a lucky Ooh. charm or an amulet, checking Ooh. your horoscope. I that Do was you think that's ritual? Uh, this is what the internet is. I'm voting me, no. I'm it? checking your no, horoscope. You don't like it. I don't Creating like it. a vision board for manifesting your goals. Yes, ritualistic. Let's see what else. Creating a sacred space for prayer and meditation. I won that one. Observing a moment of silence. 
is definitely a ritual oh, according yeah, to the internet. Nice. Holding yeah, a baby naming ceremony, on I and agree. on and on, lots of random things, but also brushing your teeth every morning, ritual. You think? Yeah, it's a activity that you're doing that you're carving out space that's in this like repetitive format every day. That's I would call that a ritual. Wow. I, I mean, would you call it eating a ritual? You carve out time Ooh. and space to eat and nourish your body. You carve out time to clean, be sanitary and clean your mouth. And <laughs> Did you just define brushing your teeth as being sanitary? How about like I like to, on especially on nights where I'm stressed out, I like to take a shower and light a candle. I actually sent you the same candle that I like oh, to yeah. light. Do you yeah, love yeah, that yeah. candle? I love, that. So I love that candle. It smells <gasps> so good. And do you right? ever feel like you don't want to light it because you don't want it to finish? I'm having a moment where it's halfway full and I'm uh, I don't I don't let the kids light it. We just look at it now. And the the case is so beautiful, right? So it's, it's a locally so made, side note, locally made. You can reuse the container for like makeup brushes and stuff after, but I did have that exact fear. So when I ordered it off of Etsy, I ordered myself a second one when I ordered yours because oh. I was like I can't be without this. Anyway, Wait, I like that. Using the the container as a makeup brush jar is brilliant because part of my anxiety about this candle is how gorgeous the that jar green is. is. It's like know. a beautiful green. She recommended it, the woman who makes them. I was like, great idea. I will do that. Wow. Bean, shout out this candle. What's it called? Oh, man. Awkward. I think it's called Tone. I should shout out this Oh, yeah, candle. Tone. It it's is tone. called Tone. It's made yeah. somewhere in Pennsylvania. She was at like a little farmer's event that I went to. Oh, cute. Yeah. Speaking of, yeah, please. I just want to say I've also found this other candle called Kobo, K-O-B-O. Kobo. And the the scent I bought is called Sacred Space. Ooh. It is- Can you send me that? It's blue cypress and crushed mint. It smells like a really gentle mojito breeze in my office right now <laughs> maybe i should light a mojito breeze before i do yoga I yeah need something will get you in the let's right get mood. thinking about what i can do as a ritual to get out of my head and know that i can do 20 minutes of yoga a day why am i acting okay like brainstorm okay. brainstorm after this new rituals yeah yeah that's my that's my bit on rituals being love it so how about i have a fun idea how about we okay. talk about kid rituals you know what I mean? What mean? Like we talked about one last week. I think we actually talked about it last week of the witches episode. We were talking about Bloody Mary. Oh, rituals we did when we were kids. Yeah. I don't know if you meant rituals that we do with kids. <laughs> like put them in a center and chant in a circle. Oh, spooky. I don't know what you're doing with your kids. I don't, creepy, I don't do that. Uh, oh, yeah. Rituals as kids. Okay. Yeah. We did say Bloody Mary last I don't know if week. you consider this a ritual, but like um, Ouija board. Oh, yeah. I feel like that was ritualistic because even when you would do it, we would like do it in the dark and you would light a candle. Totally. Fun thought. When did you do, when did you play with the Ouija board the most? What age would you give? Um, good question. I think I would say 11, 12, 13. 100%. I knew you were really? going to say is that. that the, is that the moment? I, that's when, that's when I think that's when most people experiment with the Ouija board. And my question is, why do you think that is? What is it about oh. that age? Because you don't do it when you're older. Do you remember Ouijaing when you were like in your later teens? No. I Ouija when I'm young. I'm in a competitive Ouijaing team. <laughs> it's <actually>. called Wajai. 
I, you know what? Wait, I, I came up. I don't know. I don't know if my brain gave me an answer or <gasps> my intuition gave me an answer. I'm going to give you what I got right away. Yeah. What I got is that 11 to 13 is this moment where you are suspended between two realities yes. of being a child and being an adult. Yeah. And so you still have enough belief in you in the invisible that you want to believe it's real or that you're willing to believe it's real, wow. but you're adult enough to like want to explore more adult topics. Like, you know, I don't know, the occult. You <laughs> you really know <laughs> everything. Was that right? I think so. <laughs> I, there's not even like a real answer, but that sounds totally appropriate. It just okay, came to so- me like, why do we only do it when we're kind of kids, but not exactly kids? And that's exactly the age of my oldest right now. You know what I say to validate intuitive wisdom is if someone says something and it's like, I don't know if this is my intuitive wisdom, and the other person is like, oh, that sounds like truth, then it's pretty likely that that was intuitive wisdom. I think you intuitively know why we use Ouija boards, Ouija boards. at age 12. Ouija. Let's use my intuition for better things. <laughs> I liked that one, honestly. Okay. All right, fine. Let's do other ones. Light is, but light what is about, a feather. Light is that's feather. what I was going to say. Wait, I have a really funny story about that. I never did that as a kid. Why? And I She's had scared. a book club. Yeah, I had a book club thing at my house a few years ago. I think we actually mentioned it when Suzanne was on the podcast for anyone who's oh, been listening yeah. since then. And uh, everyone was at my house and w- we were reading a cr- spooky book because it was me. And uh, then everyone started talking about oh my God, do you remember Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board? And I was like, oh, I never played that. And all of the women were dying. They're like, no, 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 we have to play right now. So I laid on the ground. (gasps) Did it work? And they had their two, you know, each person had, you know, two fingers under my body and they're saying it over and over again. Of course it didn't work. And I also was like, guys, this is not making me feel very good about myself. The fact that you're trying to lift me. I feel like when we were younger, we still were suspended in that moment of some type of belief that it always felt like they lifted a little bit. That's what my friend said that night. They're like, this always used to work. And always. Like, I don't know if that's, if it's like a collective memory everyone has decided to have. I like it. Do you know what I mean? Wait, did you not play because you were too scared or you had no friends? Yeah, I was scared of all kinds. <laughs> I love that you gave two options that are both very, very realistic for me. Sorry. I thought honestly either one could go. It was probably both. Friends, I just don't. I didn't go to a bunch of like slumber parties. That's because like you call them slumber parties instead of sleepovers. <laughs> That's why everyone's like, don't invite her because she'll call it a slumber party. But I didn't like. I didn't like any kind of like scary thing like that. Even as a kid, I like to watch scary movies at that age. I like to nope. do Ouija stuff. I like to do nope. that. I feel like that says a lot about me. But I feel like honestly, as your intuition just shared with us. It's just, a, it's like a fact of the matter at that age, unless you're yeah. you. My son is really into <gasps> scary movies. He told me, I told him because he came in here and I was like, I'm scared because uh, I'm researching exorcism. He's like, mom, I have the best idea for your research. Let's watch The Exorcist tonight before oh, you go to bed. Oh my gosh. I was like, are you trying to torture me? No. I'm not even, I don't get that scared, but I don't even think I could watch that before bed by myself. Yeah, that kid. All right. Well, that was fun. Kid era. Wait, can we invite anyone to put in the comments anywhere? any other rituals that they did as children that were missing. All I got was Ouija, light as a feather, Bloody Mary. There's got to be other ones. I don't don't know. I think that what we've learned is that we keep saying things about our podcast, like it's Instagram. (laughs) You can't like our podcast or put comments. Go to our Instagram. Go to our Instagram handle, which is new. What is it? It's signal with Maury and Melissa. 
Go to our Instagram and tell us about rituals you did as a kid, please. Yes. And actually, we'll just post this clip on the Instagram. Any yeah. rituals you did as a kid, post tell it us below. What you did. But also, please do write a review and share our podcast because then we can have more people listen to it. And I can wear more costumes. And you know, will just costumes. keep wearing costumes all year long. <laughs> I promise. All right. Okay, I think you. Okay, so let's go into. You're going to tell me about a spooky ritual, which is spelled. Spooky. Then I'm going to. I'm going to end by telling you about exorcism. Yeah, I think that's the right order. So people are really creeped out when they get off. Okay, mine's okay. super loosey goosey. This is let's just about spells. I'd like to keep it light and fun. I'm going to give you a quick little history. All right, let's hit it. Spell casting traces its roots back to early civilizations like the Egyptians, Babylonians. You know this. You were like, uh-huh. Greeks, Romans, they use spells for healing. They did use spells for curses, mm-hmm. invoking deities. The first written records come from ancient Mesopotamia. So that's like a long mm. time ago. It's like a long that's, time that's ago. Like a long time that's ago. like forever ago, around 3000 BCE. They were chants and rituals used to combat disease and bad luck. I'm, I'm like holding my Morticia wig out of the way so I can <laughs> properly read. Ancient Egypt had a lot of elaborate ritual magic. Lots of spells were recited. They they started using like herbs and minerals and figures and whatnot. And they focused a lot on the afterlife. So each I feel like each little group of people focuses on something different, which is interesting for their spells. They only apply their spells to certain areas of life. You mean when you say group of people, like do you mean- Different cultures. Got it. Right? So they're okay. saying- Certain ones used it for invoking deities, certain ones used it for healing, certain ones used it for different Got things. It. So the Egyptians were about talking the to the Egyptians, dead? Egyptians, they were focused on the afterlife and invoking the gods. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, they think mummify, about all we know about, yeah, yeah, about Egyptian culture and how attached they were or connected they were to the fact that there is an afterlife and you need to invest time and energy on sending totally. your loved ones into that place. Totally. Very cool. well, very well said. Cool. Neato. Thank you. But then as you have it with Christianity spreading, all of a sudden spellcasting became witchcraft. So it was used oh my very God. peacefully. Here we go again. Here, exactly. Here we go. Oh, God damn no. it. <laughs> but there were still lots of like sorcery traditions that were going on in uh, pagan communities. I know what pagans are, by the way. Yeah. You're a pagan now um, as of last week. <laughs> So then it gets worse, of course. And as we talked about, um, spells became associated with all the witchcraft during medieval witch hunts. Uh, so this, and this is where, like we also referenced last week, the image of a woman over a cauldron became uh, popular. Right. Like that's how you do a spell is you have to be standing, mixing some potions in a cauldron. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Renaissance comes and they're like, hmm, it's kind of cool to do these spells. And they start blurring the lines of ritual magic and early modern science. So now they start to incorporate more scientific ideas into spells and they're using exotic ingredients from the new world, like tobacco, cacao, vanilla, chili peppers, all these cool things to represent different things. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then it's sort of like quieted down for a little while. And then the 19th century movements like spiritualism and theosophy helped revive spellcasting. And then it started getting more popular. And now we know today that it's sort of like, becoming a thing again it's becoming accessible if you go to a bookstore how many spell books like can you find in a bookstore different spell books hundreds yeah devoted hundreds. to literature and and yeah whatever it is that you need to properly do spells i love a good spell who yeah I, i've never really done one but i'm thinking of dabbling 
didn't I give you one last week or did I make, did I make, say that in my head? I, didn't I say that I learned one where you, if someone's bothering you, you put yes. their name in the freezer. But do you, spell, do, right? you do any, I guess. I would think but so. again, I, I'm, it's, it blurs the line of manifestation and spells and ritual. Totally. All, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are a bunch of different types of spells. There's. Wait, I'm sorry. Hold on. The fact that you are trying so hard to keep this wig out of your mouth while you're talking is I'm not so going to lie. When I was getting awful. ready, I had to pull it out of the top shelf of my closet and it was so naughty. So I started brushing her and then like p- chunks of her hair were falling out. And now it's like all wiry and getting in my mouth. The kids are going to come home and think you murdered a cat or something. I don't, yeah, like a really long-haired cat. <laughs> or their father, who also has this color hair. Oh, no. <laughs> that just got really spooky. spooky. Now we're turning into a true crime podcast. Anyway, speaking of spells, there are a bunch of t- types. Protective, healing, luck and fortune, love and lust, fertility, weather magic. My favorites, fine, I'll tell you my favorites that I pick from. Okay. I really like the healing spells because they're meant to hmm. cure disease, mend injuries, remove pain, restore health. They can be healing spells or herbal remedies. There's love and lust spells, which immediately made me think of, are you, can you say it? Do you want to do trivia time? A love and lust spell. Oh, I hate when you do this. Think Is it from 80s. a movie? Yes. Fine. I'll give it oh, to you. Oh, no. It's Teen Witch. It's not as common as mother, oh, other people. <gasps> oh, my God. Top that. Supersonic oh, idiotic. Such a pretty face. Who would really want to go and top that? Do you know what Is I'm talking about? Is that from Teen Witch? Yes. I yes. know that little goofy rap but i didn't know it was from that movie <laughs> yeah but then you do know it it's teen witch and she comes up with this spell basically it's like a love potion that she forces this dude oh. to fall in love with her and then her friend like becomes a badass rapper in the interim i don't know how no way yeah does she do a rapping spell on her friend no i don't know how but she did that whole top that spell and she was like wow wow anyway that's where i went with that and then there's another one called I- i'm not sure the pronunciation necromancy necromancy Wait, isn't that about dead? Is that about dead people? It's focused on communing with summoning or commanding the spirits of the dead. But I'm, I'm into that. I think it's cool to be like in touch with. You're into that. I'm like, I'm hot for that. I think it's cool to be in touch with, uh, you know, the afterlife or whatever it is. Wait, that's where a Ouija board would come in. Totally. But there are all kinds of spells. Okay. Also, I would like to also dive into, for your listening pleasure, the symbolic roles of the accessories used when doing spells. Yes. Yes. Okay, do it. Bat, oh, bat wing, eye of bat newt. Wing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, I'm even talking down to wands and staffs and whatnot. Oh, mm, spelly. okay, Harry Potter. Let's go. So basically, I didn't really ever know this, but I guess I kind of did. They are all really just tools for channeling energy better. That's essentially what all of these physical items become, even like certain hand gestures, like Ooh, I don't know. The wands and uh, staff. Bean is, uh, is Ooh, moving with her my palms hand. and her fingers. I'm wiggling, wiggling my them. fingers. Like, where is Thumper? <laughs> okay. I'm doing this spell. This, this show is going off the rails. We are we are off the rails oh for sure. Oh, my God. I, again. Okay. Um, so anyway, they serve like a wand can serve as a channel for them to focus their energy onto something. So and right. specifically if they would use like wood or crystal that really helps resonate with the user's intention. So it kind of that makes a lot of enhances. sense. Agreed. And I love that it is about nature. Like if you think about what we were saying about paganism, yes. it's about honoring and valuing nature. Yes. So whatever the the natural and spiritual qualities are of these sub, you know, materials like wood or crystal, it would make sense that you would then utilize them to channel your energy in a spell. Correct. Similarly, mm-hmm. 
specific finger and hand positions like you just saw me doing. Right now it looks like I'm, you know. Don't say what it looks like. Uh, nope, doing. not going to. Inappropriate. We already said anals on this podcast <laughs> twice. So, but for the hands, you can channel the energy through the hand chakras, which I thought is really relatable yeah. for other people who believe in, you might not believe in spells, but you might believe in chakras. And I right. think that that's sort of, and- Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was a nice one to share. Animal parts. Rabbit feet for luck, turtle shells for shielding, owl feathers for wisdom. It connects the animal's essence to the spell, which you always heard of them using that. I thought that was a little interesting. Personal items like a strand of someone's hair or a photo. It creates an energetic link between what you're doing and the person that you're doing it for. So Mm. it's all about energy and enhancing the energy. However you're using it, whatever item you're using, it could be minerals and stones, which is just amplifying your own intentions. It could be someone else's items so that you are more energetically linked to them, all different ways. For good or bad. Well, interesting you should say that because. (laughs) So. um, As she still fixes her wig. So really, I also wanted to look into how spells are today since it is becoming more popular. And a lot of the, the emphasis is on spiritual growth now more than like paranormal power, which I think is more relatable again for people. And it ties back into all of that, like manifestation, lingo and whatnot, because it's more about the self and not about others. Mm, So spells are more mainstream. We have shows like Charmed and Harry Potter. They're more focused on intention. Like we were saying, many see spells not as supernatural feats, but rituals to focus intention and manifest goals. The psychology of magic is emphasized Mm -hmm. over supernatural beliefs. So I think it's really also incorporating a little bit of science into this the idea that where you put your thought and energy is where you will manifest or create your reality there's holistic wellness where you're attracting health prosperity and love um it's all in that complements practices like yoga and meditation and whatnot digital living i think you mentioned vision boards they have like online vision boards there's there's casting through social media, which I've never heard of or seen, but I am dying to experience. What? what is that? Like casting a spell through social media. I don't know if... Like writing the right words? Oh, I assumed it was verbal, oral. Oh, like making a video? I don't know. Let's okay. look into it. Yeah, like a spell video. I think it was just... The comment was that it's super accessible now. There's all these ebooks. That you, like you can find all the spell books online. There's a lot. You don't have to be a secret witch to figure out how to perform all of these spells. There's supplies. It's more mainstream now. It makes sense that social media would make anything more accessible. So, you know, throw spells in there. Add it in. But there is a bigger focus today, it seems, on responsible spellcasting. And whereas there were curses and hexes and whatnot in the past, they're big now into consent. That spells, which I think, I actually think all the ethical considerations for modern spellcasters should also be applied to normal lifestyle choices, like consent. Spells should not be directed at any unwilling participant. Love spells, other magic to control removes consent. So you can't, don't make someone fall in love with you. Don't Mm. make someone's day turn into something terrible. Like it has, it, it's more personal and more about your own intention. Don't make it somebody else's. Um, It should be harmless. It should not inflict harm, illness, misfortune. There are exceptions made for protection magic. I don't know what those exceptions look like. There's big into (laughs) into karma that magic comes back threefold. So harmful spellcraft will return bad energy to the caster. 
don't do it. That kind of nonsense, you know. Yeah. Wait, I'm sorry. This is so fascinating. Who is making these rules? Deciding on these morals and ethics. I don't know. I mean, honestly, this is just what I found on the interwebs. Who really knows? But I think that I think it makes sense given where where we see the use of things like spells and rituals in today's modern age. You know what I mean? Right. And we talked about modern witchcraft last week. That it sounds like people who are still practicing Wicca and see themselves as witches would be talking about a more updated, modern, and ethical way to practice. So perhaps it came from their community. Got it. That's really cool. I like the consent with spells. Me too. I like the consent with anything. Wait, does that mean I have to call all the people that are in my freezer? Wait, wait, hold on. Let me say that again. I don't have people in my freezer. (laughs) Do I have to call the police rather? All of the people that I've written down and put in the freezer, which isn't that many, do, that, do, do I need their consent? Do you think? I disagree because it's not about, you're not wishing them harm. You're wishing to remove their drama from your own life. You're not asking right, the drama to it. shift. So it is your own okay. intention. It is about what you do with them in your own, for your own well-being. It has nothing to do Fair. with them. Like, I will remove you. Maybe that's what they meant when they said with exception to protection. <gasps> it's like if it's protecting your energy, then consent is not Perhaps. But I still don't necessary. feel like that requires consent. It would be the same thing as putting like you could verbally say to them, I don't have the space to work with you right now or be around you right now because of your energy. You're just doing that in some ritualistic way. Cool. Okay. Cool. You're cool. Good. You're Thank cool. you. I'm glad that I passed the ethics yep, test. Yeah, you're good. Speaking of modern witches, I one of the producers has a really great spell book, and she sent me a couple excerpts from it. It is from... Do we have a spell we get to do? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to... Do, well, she sent me a bunch of them. It's from Lori Cabot's book of spells and enchantments. Lori Cabot is, I okay. believe, is still alive. She's one of the oldest witches, I believe, still alive. She had a storefront mm. in Salem for a long time where she really was just trying to make it more mainstream. She wasn't trying to be like Mm. out there. She was trying to bring it to the masses. Practical magic, if you will. Oh, oh, I will. So she has a bunch of books and she still, I believe, has an online store. I'm not positive where she has like amulets and spell books and whatnot. Anyway, there were, she spent me a bunch of spells, but I really liked one, which is called a moonlight love spell. Wait, okay. we're not supposed to make anyone. Oh, it's not. Sp- I think this is to draw love, bring love into your life. So three okay. nights before the full moon, place a jar of. Wait, what? I'm- we just had a full moon. I know. I know. Last uh, night. This morning, we, actually. We're good on the. But you don't. Yeah, we're good on the love front. Okay. So for next full moon, for those of you that yeah. are wanting to manifest love, three nights before the full moon. Got it. Moonlight love spell. Three <laughs> nights before the full moon. I'm going to read it in a voice. Full moon, place a jar of spring water outside where the moonlight will enter the water. Two hours before the full moon, step outdoors and wash your hands and face with the moon water. Touch your jewelry to the moon water. Repeat the spell three times as you do. By the light of the moon and mystical power, love will come hour by hour. Any moon water left over should be poured on your front steps or near your front door. So that is fine. That's like bringing love into your life. It's not directing it at anybody. That passes the consent test. Consent test. Wait, I have a – actually, this reminds me. (gasps) I have a friend who was looking for love, and she really, really wanted a committed relationship. She was out of her first marriage, and she wanted – and she had a spell that I think one of, like, the healers that she consulted – it's a South American spell – was like, you get in the bathtub – you put rose petals in the bathtub, Ooh, you light a white candle, 
and you envision the kind of person you want to be with. Oh, I like that. Like not, right? So she does this and it had to be on a full moon. (gasps) She does this. I'm not even kidding you. A month later, she's like, I'm going on a date with this guy. She's married to this guy. Fast forward seven years. When we get off, I need to know who this is. But again, that was no, that wasn't put on anybody else. She was manifesting that shit for herself in a romantic bathtub. Okay, I have another one. It's for protection of the home. Oh, good. This one's a little more, it's probably a little trickier because what you need is a compass and either four iron horseshoes or four railroad spikes. (laughs) So whichever one of those you can, whichever one of those you can find easier, grab them. Or if you're from the 1800s, this should be no problem. No problemo. Head down to your local horseshoe maker. Okay. So for this one, I don't have the spell, but I will just read to you what you do. Okay. For this, you must use a compass to determine magnetic north. Set okay. this spell up in a place where it will not be disturbed. Once you've found magnetic north, place the old iron horseshoes or rail spikes around the edges of the house, either inside or buried outside the home, in the cardinal directions, starting in the north and moving clockwise around. Again, starting in the north and moving clockwise, sprinkle salt over the iron. When you reach the north point again, say... I don't know what you're supposed to say. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's the cliffhanger? But it was just the, it was more the idea of these rituals. Oh my God. You could have just made something up. I would have loved if you just made it up. We would have all believed you. Oh, wait. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay, go, go, go. Ready? Yes. I protect this house and the people in it from any negative or positive energies or forces that may come to do us harm. So mote it may be. So mote it be. Mote? Are you sure this isn't if you live in the 1800s? Listen, it's from Laurie Cabot's Book of Spells and Enchantments, and I kind of liked it. Okay. Mote So just it say be. that. Sprinkle Why would salt, positive energies want to come to you harm? I know. I was just thinking that All right. Too. We're not going to... Let's not pick on Laura. I don't want her, any of her juju Laurie. over here. We ag- we accept. We respect. I do. Like I actually spell. really do. I, I watched a little thingy on her, too. She's quite interesting. Wow. I wonder if there are substitutions in modern day society that we could use besides horseshoes or railroad spikes. Maybe, but if I was going to do it, honestly, I would just do it. I would Metal? do what they said, or I would, I would just do another spell if I couldn't do that. I feel like you could access horseshoes if you really needed to. <laughs> Go down to your local hardware store and see if there's some horseshoes. Excuse me. Metal Excuse and horseshoes? salt is what I heard. So you're going to see me with four forks around me and some salt sprinkles. <laughs> Bean, that was fun. Great. Thank you. That was, uh, now we know how to attract love and protect our homes. Everything else, you're on your own. And we know how to do it. We also know how to do spells respectfully and- With consent. Ethically, Ethically. with consent, transparent, empowerment, truthful. We don't misrepresent. Spells shouldn't disempower people. You know what I mean? Like make it about what you want and what you need. I love I love the ethical spell vibe. Me too. It's a code so of good. ethics. There should be lawyers who only focus on the <laughs> ethics of witches. Oh man. Okay. All right, give it to me. I'm scared. I'm shaking in my boots. All right, Bean. I'm really I don't want to. I if you've noticed, I've been trying to prolong the spell segment because now I have to talk <laughs> about exorcisms really and my heart's racing. You're like, see me with forks. Okay, wait, let me spray my aura spray again. Oh my gosh, what what a ritual. Okay, you guys, here we go. Exorcisms. All right. So I'm just going to start by saying specifically what an exorcism is. 
Thank it's you. an adjuration addressed to evil spirits to force them to abandon an object, place, or person. Technically, a ceremony used in both Jewish and Christian traditions to expel demons Jewish? from persons who have come under their power. I don't recall Jews doing this. So we are talking about demonic possessions <gasps> and the act of removing demonic possessions from a person's body. <sighs> Obviously, I think you can guess why exorcisms are so popular in our modern culture. I will take you back to 1973, where a little movie called The Exorcist came out. 1973. Have you seen The Exorcist? A thousand times, yes. I have not. I can. The only exorcist thing I can oh, tell really? you is, yeah, my best friend in college went to Georgetown University, and the stairs that lead from M Street, which is, I know you know, but our listeners don't know. Uh, <laughs> You're like, duh. Uh, the stairs that lead from the university that's like up on top of a hill. It's a Jesuit school. And by the way, exorcisms are part of the Jesuit culture, religion. Uh, the stairs that lead down onto M Street, which is where all the shops and restaurants are in Georgetown, D.C. Those stairs are what they used in The Exorcist. So one of the things we do to freak ourselves out on Halloween is walk down The Exorcist stairs. And there was all this like oh. lore about stuff that had happened to kids who were walking down The Exorcist stairs. So you had like your heart in your throat while you were doing it. It was actually kind of uh, I did it multiple times because I went to school in D.C. and lived there and I never had my heart in my throat. Oh, you mean like when you were a kid you used to do it? No. Like I, I did it like at 20. Old. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I didn't have my heart in my throat. I was like, wow, these are the stairs from the movie. Neato, gang. I think we know who's a scaredy cat here and who is a badass <laughs> Morticia. It's me. So anyway, exorcisms are something that obviously started a long time ago. Again, we're just going to take you back to the Bible. The first real mention of exorcisms Always. is Jesus catch, uh, casting out um evil spirits uh, that appears in the gospel of mark which is written about 70 a.d then actually in 1526 martin luther adds exorcism to baptismal rites because he is really responding to a list of complaints about you know martin luther reformed christianity right. in the 1500s um, and yeah and so he is as part of the Protestant Reformation, wanting to make sure that people are really clear what exorcism actually means rather than something that they can just do in their living room. And that is where we start to see the difference between a minor exorcism and a major exorcism, which I'll get to in a minute. But baptism is an example of a minor exorcism. So, oh, yeah, exactly. I didn't know that. But is you're not exercising anything out during a baptism, from I'm my understanding. Tell. You oh, are. I'm tell wow. you. Yeah. And I, I have no the idea. best source on this topic. I just want to tell you what it is right now because it blew me away that this existed. It Google. is. No, there is a website called the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. And on the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, there is an entire section devoted to exorcism. Oh, really? And it is questions about exorcism for Catholic bishops who want to perform become a ceremony. Yeah, yeah become, <gasps> I guess, allowed to perform them. I thought you were going to be like exorcisms for you.com. <laughs> no, it's the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Yeah, that sounds legit. Right. So it becomes more and more legitimatized, basically. Early 1900s, evangelicals prompt a revival of exorcisms, going back to their roots of puritism. And obviously, this has a lot to do with, you know, between the 1500s and the 1900s, everything we've talked about around 
fears and paranoia around witchcraft and the occult and people believing that demonic possessions have something to do with witches, but also something that they have to protect themselves and their families from. Here's the thing. It's not just in Christianity that we see this. We see this in African and Latin American countries as well. This idea that there are demonic possessions and that some religious guide is necessary to help relieve this person from being possessed by the devil. Um, The Exorcist, by the way, is based on the real life story of a 14 year old boy who underwent uh, Catholic exorcisms in Maryland and Missouri. I'm glad I did not know that when I lived in Maryland. And it is basically based off of the bishops telling of having to relieve this 14 year old boy of the demons that existed within him excuse me yeah excuse me why did they cast a a girl then is it supposed to mean the girls are creepier (laughs) what's that all about you guys (laughs) patriarchy i'm just gonna let that hang right there bean so all right now exorcism part of the challenge of exorcisms that has been talked about basically in the 1600s the pope had to actually put a statement out there to make sure people are differentiating between a demonic possession and some form of illness or a mental illness. And so that is where this gets really sad because what you're seeing is that in a lot of cases where people needed medical attention, seizures, multiple personality disorders, there's this idea that they are possessed and then exorcisms happen. There's a really sad story that I'll tell you in a minute about this oh, happening to a wait. girl in the 60s. Sounds Sorry. horrible. <laughs> but I did want to just tell you a little bit about this United States Conference of Catholic Bishops that asks and answers questions about exorcism. And one of the things they say is that exorcisms can only major exorcism. Let me tell you the difference between minor and major. So a minor exorcism is any kind of blessing that keeps evil spirits away. So it is prior to a possession taking place. So that is where a baptism, taking sacrament, anything that is keeping demonic spirits away from the person can be conducted by any kind of priest or bishop. I don't like calling it an exorcism. I'd like to call it like a pre-exorcism or like a anti, I don't want to call it that but then you are not a part of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Damn it. So that's a minor exorcism. Now, a major exorcism is employed only when there's a case of genuine demonic possession, quote unquote, from the site. Uh, Namely, quote unquote, when it is determined that the presence of the devil is in the body of the possessed and the devil is able to exercise dominion over that body. (gasps) Now, can just anyone perform these major exorcisms? Absolutely not. You have to receive the rights from the Catholic Church to become the kind of bishop that can do a major exorcism. Didn't you say Jews were doing it? I don't think they became Catholic bishops. Bishops. The connection to Jews doing exorcisms from the Old Testament. Of course. Okay. So how does a priest become an exorcist, do you ask? I do. Okay. They can be appointed (laughs) to the office of exorcist either on a stable basis or for a particular occasion. So that means you can be an exorcist for life, or there can be an emergency exorcism that you can get a a specific emergency cert, a specific appointment from the Docian bishop in your community. It's like when you expedite your passport. (laughs) Exactly. It's like emergency demonic possession. Not making light of it. 
Yeah. Anyway, there are so many other really interesting questions on this site, like what are the rites that are performed during an exorcism? How does an exorcist determine with moral certitude that the one to be exorcised is truly possessed and not merely suffering from physical ailments or psychological issues? Lots of, I mean, this thing goes on and on and on. There are so many questions in here. So it's basically a Q&A for Catholic bishops who are interested in exorcisms. And somebody who's doing a podcast about exorcism. <laughs> exactly. So and there we Maury go. Fontenet. <laughs> okay, so here's the story of a quote unquote real life exorcism that I have for Aww. you. All right. So this comes from a CNN.com article from August 2017 called When Exorcists Need Help, They Call Him. The story is about Dr. Richard Gallagher, who is a board certified psychiatrist who teaches at Columbia university. And he takes part in exorcisms with Catholic priests. He is someone who in this story basically talks about never having considered exorcism as something that's real. He's a man of science. He's a psychiatrist. But he began to get called in when people wanted to ethically be able to tell the difference between can you diagnose if this is a mental illness or a demonic possession. Right. So after his experiences, he says, Demonic possession is real, and he has seen the evidence. Some of the evidence he talks about in some of his sessions are victims speaking perfect Latin out of nowhere. Which I've heard, which is insane. Right. Psychic visions about his own life. Superhuman strength. Wait, from the the possessed? Yeah, from the patient he's seeing, them giving him... I'll give you an example of one in a second, Please. actually. I want to know what what his the psychic visions for him were. Yeah. Superhuman strength. So lots of stories of, you know, people being able to pick something up and throw it across the room. That can be explained, though, in various ways, if you ask yeah. me. No. Latin, no. Yes. Right. Right. So he says that after his experiences, he really feels like he, you know, starts to believe that they're real. He even says, quote, there was a w- one woman who was like 90 pounds soaking wet. She threw a Lutheran deacon who was about 200 pounds <gasps> across the room. That's not psychiatry. That's beyond psychiatry. I mean, she could have been like jacked up on adrenaline. You know, you've heard those stories of moms lifting cars off their totally. kids, like crazy stuff. Totally. And there are a lot. What I do like about this article is that they also do talk to other psychotherapists who talk about how dangerous it is to diagnose someone of a possession because then you're not really looking at what you can treat about them. And and they did say there's lots of things that could explain speaking Latin. It could just be learning what? Latin, learning it and deciding that that's part of what you're going to do to scare people or um, that you could be, you know, what she calls one of the the critics uh, doing a cold reading on someone, which is guessing something about their lives based on just getting a sense of who they are. Like, oh, I sense that your kids are in danger because you see a picture of their kids in their office. Which a lot of people, right, the psychics, there are like fake psychics who do that, just feed off of people's energy. Totally. That's what the that's what the skeptics say. But basically, Dr. Gallagher is a consultant who's helping clergy differentiate. And he's been doing this for 25 years. So he tells this story of this. uh, He's giving her a pseudonym, Julia, which is a patient that was sent to him by a Catholic priest to be able to diagnose whether it's a mental illness or a demonic possession. What year is this? That's a good question. Is this like they 1600s or like recent? No, 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 no. He, this article came out in 2017 and it was a profile of him in current times. So I'm going to say it was pretty recent. So Julia actually approaches her local priest and she is convinced that she's being attacked by a demon. The no. pre- 
priest refers her to an exorcist. She reaches out, they, they reach out to Gallagher to be able to tell the difference. And the question is, she comes from a cult of devil worshipers. And she is the quote unquote queen of her cult. So why would a devil worshiper want to be free of the devil? Gallagher says she was conflicted. There's part of her that wanted to be relieved of the possession because it was really making her life difficult. That's probably scary for her, even if it was mental illness. That must feel scary. Yeah. So she's reaching out for help. He is not convinced yet at this point before he's met Julia that that demonic possessions are real. And okay. according to this article, she's the one that relieved Gallagher of his doubts. Wow. He says that he helped assemble a team of people that were going to help her decide. They were going to decide if she's possessed or not, other therapists and also priests. And a lot of the people that were present for these things would say that objects would fly off the shelves around her during these sessions. She knew personal details about Gallagher's life, how his mother had died of ovarian cancer. And also this random time that I guess he had two cats and they all of a sudden out of nowhere went nuts and started fighting each other. And it was the night before one of his sessions with Julia. And he also says that Julia found a way to reach him even when she wasn't with him. And an example of that is that he was talking on the phone with Julia's priest one night and he says both men heard a demonic vo voice that had come from Julia during one of her trances. Now they're hearing in the middle of their call, even though she's nowhere near the phone. <gasps> he said that it was really creepy and he couldn't necessarily. It is really that. creepy. Yeah. Wow. So he's starting to feel like, hold on a minute. There's something to this. How do I explain that? I don't know how to explain it. And what's interesting about this article is that they then go into talking about science and spirituality and how Gallagher is starting to feel like the two worlds need to come together more. And what he says is that, you know, um, spirituality throughout history is not known to have included science. And that's where he mentions Pope Paul V, who in the 1600s wrote that you have to be able to distinguish between a possession and what they were calling melancholy in 1614, which is mental illness now. So spirituality, understanding that they needed to bring science in and not always think that it's a demonic possession, but that the same goes for psychiatry, meaning the psychiatrists, and we talked about this in the episode that Suzanne was on, don't necessarily bring spirituality or the soul or the spirit into their practice because they're trying to focus so much on science. And what he's doing is tr starting to talk to psychiatrists who are agreeing there's a lot about the brain we don't know. I mean, right? We've heard that a million Agreed. times. And scientists are saying there's a lot that goes beyond what we can measure when we're looking at the brain. And he talks about this psychiatrist, Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, who is a specialist in schizophrenia. So this is someone that they're also consulting to try to figure out, again, the difference mm. between a possession totally. and a mental illness. And Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman is another psychiatrist that says he was changed after an experience Wait. with an unnerving patient. <gasps> and here Spooky. is his story. So Dr. Lieberman was asked to examine a video of an exorcism. And when he watched it, he wrote it off as unconvincing. He's like, there's some something going on in this video that they have doctored up. Then he met the woman and he said, she freaked me out. So Lieberman, by the way, is the director of the New York State Psychiatric Institute. Okay, so we're not just talking about someone who has randomly decided to weigh in here. He's a well-respected doctor. This is spooky. See? I made fun of you. This is totally spooky. Are you scared? Right? I'm not scared, but like, it's definitely spooky. There's no explanation for this. Correct. Right? I mean, yes. is there? Maybe there is. I don't know. 
doesn't feel I like I think there the is. thing that feels funny about this these stories is that you're talking about doctors who are trained in medicine right. to not accept these things as true, telling Correct. you, I can't explain some of the things I saw. And that, I think, is what really unnerved me. Like, that's what was trying to play in my brain in the middle of the night. And I was like, no, 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 we're not going to go there. That's what's unnerving me. It's yeah. not like just random people saying that this happened. Okay, so he sees this video. He's like, I don't know. And then he's then he meets her and he's like, it freaked me out. So this is his story. He's partnered with a family therapist. And they're asked to go in together to examine a young woman who was thought to be possessed. Um, they tried treating her for months. And they would do it together. So they're going into these sessions with her together. Right. Um, and they're trying to treat her, both of them unconvinced, obviously, that it's a possession until something happened during the treatment that he says he still can't explain to this day. What is it? After sessions with the woman, he would go home and the lights in his house would flicker on and off by themselves nonstop. But it would only be on the evenings that he had had a session with this woman not on other nights. So if you're going to try to say it's an electrical problem or there's a bulb that's gone out, six nights out of seven, the bulb is not flickering. The one night he has a session with this woman, right. they do. It's still not convincing me. I feel like there are, maybe he was more aware of it on those nights and Fair. less aware of it on the other nights. There's definitely multiple explanations. He might be freaked out when he gets home and he's starting and to be like hypervigilant. Anyway, keep going. Photos and artwork would start to fly off the walls of his house. How do you explain that one? And on the nights only um, where this would happen, he would get piercing <laughs> headaches that he couldn't explain. This has been happening for a few weeks. He's trying not to sound crazy, but he finally okay. breaks down and he tells the – remember, there's another therapist. He tells the other family therapist what's going on. And that therapist says right? – She says the oh exact same things are happening to me. I know me. what's going to happen. Yes. <gasps> then he says, <gasps> I sort of had to admit that I didn't really know what was going on at that point. He says, I can't categorically rule possession out wow. as a doctor. But the thing that, you know, is really important that Lieberman is saying and these critics is that it's really important that we do this with care uh, because it can get dangerous and sad. And that's the case of Emily Rose. So Emily Rose was a girl who died of starvation in 1976 after 67 exorcisms were performed <gasps> on her over nine months. Is there a movie? Yes, there is a movie based on her. Uh, I'll tell you, it's the 2005 film, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That makes sense because I believe I worked on it when I at this place I worked at when I first met you. So that aligns. Yeah. It's true. We used to work on movies and TV and promoting them. Yeah, we did work on that. Yeah. So it must have been parents. <gasps> oh, my God. Wait. Was that the movie that I asked you to go on a date to? No, I would have never gone to see uh. that. Absolutely not. I think you asked me to go out on a date to see Finding Nemo. No, we weren't working no? on that. I wasn't. Oh, I worked on that. Anyway, sorry. let's get back to Emily Rose. Yeah. Okay, so 1967, she dies. So she had devout Roman Catholic parents. And she reportedly displayed classic signs of possession, abnormal strength, aversion to sacred objects. So that's another thing I didn't mention. Like when they hold a cross, they're freaking out and right. Latin starts happening. And then speaking different languages. That's wild. She was diagnosed with epilepsy. Oh. Authorities later determined that Michael's parents and two priests who responsible for, were responsible for her death. And German authorities put them on trial for her murder and found them guilty of negligent homicide at this time. 
So this is why you're seeing even psychiatrists who have been pulled into this world feeling like even though there's phenomenon happening to them, like Dr. Lieberman, Dr. Gallagher, it's also really important that we're not confusing the two because then these people who actually need medical help are not getting that medical help. And this is where it becomes dangerous to have this paranoia about demonic possessions happen. But I don't know how you explain the flickering lights and the art flying off two separate people's walls. That's weird. How much would that scare you if you were like, hey, Bean, I have to tell you something. And then I, I was like, me too. That would scare the bejesus out of me. <laughs> you legitimately, seriously just asked me that question. Wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be super creepy. I mean, I'd say art flying off my wall repeatedly would be creepy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't explain it. Yeah, that's creepy. Totally. Okay. Well, now you know why I couldn't sleep. And that is wow. my exorcism story for you. Bravo. That was really creepy. That was so, so good for our spooky October. Now do you know why I'm spraying this aura spray? Yeah, totally. I don't know whatever it's going to take to protect me. A rabbit's foot. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't was care. like, crystals enhance your intention. You were like, dudes, art was flying off his wall. <laughs> no wonder. Oh, Bean, that was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Yours was really fun. Thank you. You're welcome. And I hope that we are making your spooky season just a little bit more spooky, our listeners. Spooky. Thanks for going on this wild ride with us. They're like, I thought I was listening to a personal growth podcast and now I'm listening to ghost stories. I like, maybe we should take a turn. I'm very into this ghost story situation. Kind of fun, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, join us next week as we get into yet another spooky topic. Spooky. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye, Bean. Bye. This has been another episode of Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Gushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushri Thekadeth, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islami. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then. See you then.